0: Fangoria has been at it for over 40 years and is better than ever. This gorgeous magazine is highly collectible and is delivered right to your front door four times a year. Each issue is filled to the brim with articles exploring every nook and cranny of genre filmmaking past, present, and future with all the most exciting journalists, filmmakers, and horror know-it-alls to guide the way, including, from time to time, your Intrepid KingCast hosts. This high-quality writing will only ever appear within the physical pages of the magazine, so if you want to join in on the fun, and you damn well should... Well, then you'll need to subscribe. And to do that, all you got to do is head on over to fangoria.com and sign up. And if you use the KingCast promo code, we can save you an astronomical, massive, whopping 25% off your subscription if you use the code KingCast at checkout. Once again, code KingCast at checkout to save 25% off your subscription. Now, with all that said, let's get on with the show.
1: My name is Stephen King.
0: The ice is gonna break! Bad rock! Red rock. <laughs> you guys going to go see a dead
2: body? Well, sometimes, that is is better. Hello and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name's Scott Wampler. And I'm Eric Vespi. And we are your hosts. Our guest today is a returning KingCast favorite who probably needs no introduction, but we love her and we love her work, so she's getting one anyway. She's an award-winning writer, producer, and director whose Tigers Are Not Afraid galvanized us in 2017, and now she's back with what might be her most high-profile project yet as the writer and director of True Detective Season 4, Night Country, which begins rolling out on HBO on January 14th. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to the KingCast stage, Miss Issa Lopez. Isa, how are you doing?
1: That the crowd goes crazy. <laughs> I, <am so laughs> nice
0: I thought you were growling at us for, for a second. <laughs> I was just like, "Oh my god, that bad!" Like a
1: huh? Tiger, right? Like a tiger. It could be that. Yeah. Bad. Anyways, um, everybody, sit down. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No, I'm so happy to be here again, guys. Oh, we,
2: we're we're thrilled to be talking to you, and I am particularly thrilled to be talking to you for this reason. Um. Mm. I am a a huge true detective fan and was so excited when you got announced as as, you know, spearheading this this new season of the show. And uh, I got to tell you, this is the best season of the show since the first one. It is incredible what you've done.
0: Thank like, you. It's
2: I'm so and I'm so excited for you. I I excitedly DM'd you about it the other night because I was just like I have to tell her how excited I am. Um, you did you, you the, crushed this.
1: Did you? Thank you so much. I want to hear more about that. And let's only let's let's interview you guys about how good mm. it is. I like that. Um, did you finish <laughs> it? though?
2: I ha- I have not finished it quite yet. We're working our way through it, both of us. Eric Eric just got the screeners over the weekend. Okay. Um, Or excuse me, yesterday.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, yes. I I made Uh, it two episodes in and uh, the the highest compliment I can pay you is that I don't know a single soul that makes it to the opening credits of episode two and isn't in it for the long haul. (laughs) (laughs) There's something that happens at the beginning of, of episode two that I was just like, I I'm not I'm rarely surprised by genre and it it was that moment where I'm like I love that I'm uh, I'm on my back heel I don't know what to expect from this from this episode from the uh, the series and I'm not that person I'm usually the one that tries that can figure shit out you know really quickly and the fact that I (laughs) I was already like I don't know what's what from scene to scene what I'm gonna see next this is so exhilarating for me I'm so I'm so excited to, to finish out the season.
1: Thank you so much. I mean, I, 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 the reason I'm asking about the ending is um, it hits in a very peculiar way, the ending. And, um, and it creates a very specific reaction. So mm. uh, I urge you to go to the end. But in the meantime, <laughs> oh, let's talk about yeah. it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, it,
2: and, and we will uh, be talking about this as non-spoilery. As, as possible if we if we do say anything that you feel is is too spoilery, just let us know and we'll cut it. Yeah. but um, I think I think it would be fair to say that uh, you are you have brought oh, the last couple of seasons of the show did not strike me as particularly horror oriented whereas the first season felt like it was always dancing on this this like tightrope of maybe tipping over into uh, cosmic horror. You know, um, what you've done in this new season, I feel like brings it back to the those sort of horror roots of of the first season. And I'm I'm wondering if you could talk about that a little bit, if that was, you know, a, a you know, that was a conscious decision on your part or if that's just how you write or, you know, let's talk about that.
1: It was it is, you know, it was a very conscious decision, but it is absolutely how my mind works, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I pretty much can't help myself at this point. Uh, same as with humor, of, of dropping some humor in things. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but the moment that I got the call from HBO asking what I would do with True Detective, the first thing that popped in my mind was, let's bring back the horror of it all. Because yeah. I did love that first season. And uh, one of my most favorite things, if not my favorite thing about it, was mm-hmm. Carcosa and the Yellow Thing.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: and uh, and I missed it in the subsequent seasons. So uh, that very delicate dance uh, that you're talking about, Scott, between you know, in the end, that first season, you can look back and go. So what happened here? It's just a bunch of really, really fucked up crazy people <laughs> in, in Louisiana doing these horrendous, horrendous things. Mm-hmm. Or is it a ritual to open right. the door to Carcosa and invite the Yellow King to dance with us? Mm-hmm. And it's or, you know, and, and do Cole take for a moment has a glimpse of Carcosa at the end. Or mm-hmm. is his brain completely fried by drugs? Right. And uh-huh. it's, it's up to you to decide. And that's right. my favorite thing. You remember Tigers? It's all about that in the end, you yes. know? And um, and this was a perfect, the perfect thing for me. It's my favorite thing in the whole world to go into. Is any Alaska, a place where the veil between our world and what's beyond is thin? Yeah. Or. Are some of my characters affected by the long night mm-hmm. and the long winter, and they're losing their minds? What is happening mm-hmm. here? This
2: this concept of thin spots is very, very Stephen Kingish. I will say yes, you yes, know, yes, that, yes. That pops up repeatedly in ah uh, in his writing. I have. Well, uh, I we'll we'll get to that in a minute. But I, I one thing I wanted, one other thing I wanted to ask you about specifically, and Eric, I'll turn it over to you after this. I know I'm talking a lot. Is was this uh, season inspired at all by? And you may not be familiar with this, but this is my guess. Something called the Flannan Isles Lighthouse Mystery. Do you know what that is?
1: No, please tell me.
2: Well, uh, this goes back to like I forget the year. I'm going to say late 1800s, but off the coast of uh, Ireland, there was uh, an island with a lighthouse on it, and it, you know, would guide ships onto the, into the mainland or the harbor or whatever. And what they would do is they would take, like, three guys out there at a time to man this lighthouse. And one night, the lighthouse just stopped working. And, uh, you know, a ship almost ran aground or something. And so they, the... Uh, East India Trading Company or whoever it was that was operating in that area or or like governing it sent out uh, a ship to the island to investigate what was going on. And what they found was this lighthouse where uh, something crazy had happened, like the the stairwells up to from where you would dock up to the top of the island where the lighthouse was were wrenched out of their sockets um, once they managed to get up into the lighthouse, they found plates of food sitting out like someone was in the middle of a meal. Um, All the rain slickers were still hung on their hooks. Uh It looked like, you know, you know, there's a book out. There's there's a, a, a journal where they were they were keeping notations of what was going on on the island. Nothing amiss. But these three guys just vanished with no explanation. Mm. And wow. I'm endlessly fascinated by this story in fact i i had aspirations to write a like a screenplay like a horror movie like built around this this central idea and there's so many parallels in in what you're doing in in night country that i i wouldn't have been surprised if you had heard that story somewhere
1: i never it. i never heard of it i wish i had and I'm, in the future i'm going to say that it's influenced by this actually so,
2: <laughs> yeah, no what it,
1: please. but what was an influence and it's eerie similar and the fact that it also happened at sea is mm-hmm. remarkable um it's obviously the mystery of the marie celeste yes. which is very similar you very know it's, similar. there's two there's two instances in history one is the marie that i knew of one is the marie celeste and the other one is the roanoke uh mm-hmm. colony of right. people who vanished from the face of the earth without yes. an explanation or trace. And centuries later, we're still trying to figure it out. And um, and it is the details. Um, in my very first approach to the story, I, one of the first things I wrote is a paragraph of, it's Tuesday, it's Tuesday night at Salala Station, and um, it's a normal night. Someone pops Ferris Bueller <laughs> on the right there, <laughs> And makes some popcorn and opens a beer and someone else makes a sandwich and someone else is doing laundry and the guys are never ever seen again and mm-hmm. all of those little details that they left behind are right there and um in approaching the idea of a it, i um I, you know i've never ever done this i love them but i have never written one so what i did is I went back to the things that, when I was a child and a and a baby geek, uh, what were the things that kept me awake at night? And it was these unsolved mysteries, you know, this oh yeah lighthouse and Marie Celeste and the Atlov Pass and all of those things that that just you know. fire the
2: imagination
1: i didn't put any spontaneous combustion but stuff like that (laughs) that we we as kids were like oh what the hell happened here and in all honesty we don't want to know the real explanation because surely in in pure dam versus fashion there is a mundane explanation that is going to absolutely kill (laughs) the thrill yeah but what about the other explanations the really fun ones. Those are yeah. the best ones. Yeah. And that's what I did. I made a whole series to have <laughs> fun with the explanations we want to be true of these stories.
0: Right. Yes. yes. Yeah, no, there's something that it you you mentioned like it fires the imagination. It sticks it's like a, a fucking pebble in a shoe in my brain, these things. Right? Like I keep turning it over and over. It's like um, right. you know, when you get like an abscess in your in you know on your gum or something and you 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 keep tonguing it, right? It's like you just can't not like obsess over the this the stuff. And there there's just something about those the Roanoke, you know, uh uh Colony thing in particular, like has always you're right. The, it's the mundane thing is, you know, is you know, maybe a local tribe, you know, slaughtered them or they moved to another place and just, you know, back in the day they weren't putting forwarding addresses. Like you had no no idea, you know, what it could possibly be. But like the mystery is what's interesting. And I think what I is so effective about what I've seen of your season so far is the mystery combined with the location. And that's another thing, just this concept of a place on this earth inhabited by humans that just has a month of night, right? It's like, there, there's just something really fascinating about that. And I'm surprised that more genre hasn't taken advantage of that. I mean, I can think of like 30 days of night insomnia and I'm sure there's other examples, but those are the only two that like jump to mind about, you know, filming up there, you know, it's uh, and, and using that as a backdrop. Um, uh, how important was it for you? to marry the location to the mystery you know i feel like the best mysteries like incorporate that whether it's knives out or uh any of the agatha christie m- mysteries it feels like the location is part and parcel the tone and feel of uh the story that you're telling and the mystery you're you're uh you're creating
1: it's at the very center of it you know it does yeah. come from uh, the Hound of the Baskerville could only take place <laughs> in those swamps, you know? Yep. The the dead in the Nile has to happen on a river, on a cruise ship. And that's those are the the, the old origins of the traditional whodunit. But True Detective is a masterful example of how the world where this takes place is the main character. Yeah, You know, in a... In a Expressionistic way, uh, the way that you know that expressionistic uh, German cinema uh, used what the the storms happening inside of their characters and extreme black and whites and chiaroscuros of of their moral doubts painted the whole world. Um, I think as as more contemporary um, who done it, which is in the end as was. Many times pointed out in the first season of True Detective about light versus dark hmm. um, will mm-hmm. inform the place where where everything happens. So uh the Arctic and the ice and the night are in itself the third character in this series, perhaps hmm. the most important.
0: Yeah. Well, and you, I, what I love about. I mean, listen, you open one of the opening bits in this is you're in like a research outpost in the middle, middle of nowhere snow. And one of the first things you see is uh, is like the Blu-ray shelf and the thing is is up there. You can't not just go, Okay, we we realize we realize, of course, you're going to think the thing. With this stuff, so I'm going to throw it in there. I also maybe I'm I'm reaching here, but I also noticed some of the names of uh of the people I that that were there like Blair and uh, Clark and stuff. I, uh, you mentioned being a, a massive uh, geek, and we know you to be a geek, which is why we love you, <laughs> want you on the show. So yeah, I assume yeah. that those were all like, yes, of course, the elephant in the room is the thing. And, and we got to just address this like right up front. Yeah,
1: it's a polar bear in the room, I think. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, the one-eyed polar bear in the room, yes. Yes, exactly. So, um, so the truth is, uh, it's a massive centerpiece of what I was doing. And when you get to the end of the series, you hmm. will realize how much it is because you've seen nothing about my relationship with the thing yet. Um, <laughs> no, it's that's a, saying it's a lot in, based on the two episodes I've seen. Yeah. It's a, it's um, you know, you cannot do a, a who's got it, who is it, a drama in the Arctic during the night <laughs> in a. Where, right. uh, where an art research plays that that <laughs> ignores the thing, you can, simply cannot yeah. do that, right? And why would you? It's yeah. one of the that remake. Um, uh, John Carpenter's is one of the best. You know, tension pe- for it, it is one of the horror movies. Yes, but if you take all the monsters out of it, mm-hmm. still the fact that one of us is taking the rest of us and one of us is not who he mm-hmm. Um, is just so well-crafted. And it's so tense, and it's so beautiful. And the, the movie doesn't get old. It's crazy. So, of course, I put it there. It's right behind Danvers, as she's speaking and asking some questions mm-hmm. in the show. And as you go down the show, you will see shots that are taken directly from the thing.
2: Love it. You mentioned that you recently read Holly, which is uh, another of of King's um, crime novels. It's not I don't know if we can call that one a mystery. You know, you you know who 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 done it pretty, pretty early on in that book. It's more of a a procedural. Um, You're with True Detective Night Country. You're you're doing both simultaneously. It's you're following the investigation and the procedures that Callie Reese and um, uh, Jodie Foster are working their way through but the who done it element still looms large. I'm wondering what you thought about King's approach to uh, a procedural, you know, having, having just, you know, written something along those lines yourself.
1: Well, it was super interesting because, you know, my, the whole year, the whole, I mean, I've been writing, working on, not writing, working on True Detective for three years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and which is remarkably short. Uh, from conception to premiere, you know, sure. for, for our business, is crazy short, especially during um, a pandemic. It's true, and um, so everything that I've been, my diet has been strictly uh, murder mysteries and who donuts and mm-hmm. uh, and detective novels and series and movies, and I went from everything noir to the 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 best. Um, uh, detective books this year. My two favorites are, uh, I loved Holly and I, I'll talk about it. And the other one that I cannot get my mind around is Small Mercies by Dennis Lehane. Um, but, um, but he's a master. Oh my God. I, I, you know, I had never read one of his books and I read this one. And now I'm, I went through a rabbit hole where I'm reading every single one of them. He's incredible. Every. Um,
2: not a, every single one of them is a banger, it's so good
1: and so beautifully written. I just, yeah. I, I'm kind of mad at him, anyways. This yes. is not Dennis Lahane's podcast, but it's his <laughs> you know, um, no, Holly is fascinating because the book starts from the point of view of the killer, and so there is there is a mystery in the sense that the book dances between what's happening with the killings in the past and the detective in the present is starting to put together that there's even a serial killer. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And the mystery is those two are going to join the past and the present at some point. The mystery is we know who's doing it at the very beginning. We don't know exactly what they're doing. Uh-huh. And then it's, slowly we start to understand what are they doing it. We definitely don't know why. And right. then we... So there's a still... Uh, an unpeeling of the onion of the mystery, no doubt, and it's so so interesting. It takes a lot of, in his case, balls; in my case, would be tits, to <laughs> to to go out front. Who with who's the who's the killer? Who's the body? And then um, let the audience scream in frustration when the characters don't walk directly there. You know, which is such a delicious feeling. Um, what is incredible and and King does so well is the surprise element in the sense of the killer in that book is and and, and honestly I, I don't think it's a spoiler because it's in the very first uh, I, chapter yeah. and in all I, the think, movie, I think
0: it's on the dust jacket yeah yeah
1: is this sweet couple of of old people you know a very sweet okay. old lady they're college professors and a sweet old man. And they just, because they're harmless, they entice people to, in their cobweb, and they eat them. And, mm. uh, and what is amazing about uh, King is how he will always find a way to shock us and surprise us. Um, with The monsters are always in the least suspicious place. You know mm. the monsters are always in the daily life, in the most common corners, right. and um, and that's a little bit of of it's there's masses in his of his influence in all of my work, and um, and that's that's a little bit what I was going for. And this is a small town, you know, people are worried yeah. about not enough crap this year for for a town on the edge of the ocean, and uh, people are worried about. The, dark, the, the water not being great because they're close to a mine and uh, the main characters are worried about their kid making videos about them making out with their partners and, uh, <laughs> and then this incredibly sinister gruesome crime takes place in the middle of this everyday life little corner of America that we don't often look at and I think that comes from the influence of Stephen, no doubt
2: Mm. Uh, yeah, the, that small town aspect is certainly very Castle Rock or or Salem's Lot or you know dairy, any of the nah. d- yeah. dairy, you yeah. know, where there's there's some sort of horrible thing simmering under the surface. I, I, I certainly felt that in it. Um another another thing about the show I wanted to or another compliment I wanted to pay you is that it's uh extremely sexy. Um, this, this has been like kind of a, a question or like a, a running conversation that we've had on the show lately with people is, um, the idea of, there's been the, the idea that there's this kind of backlash, ongoing backlash to, you know, overt, uh, horniness or sexuality in movies. Um, uh, some people aren't, aren't on board with it. And I was. I don't know. I was sort of surprised by, by how, how far you lean into that, just like in the first few episodes. Um, we'll, we'll, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that about, about sexuality on film.
1: Well, you know, I, I, I guess there is a new generation of people that are not that interested in sex, which, uh, for me, it smells a little like the extinction, but, uh, <laughs> um, but whatever you do, you, um, I am <laughs> partial to sex um I think that the, sure. the, the first season of um, true detective did an incredible job of portraying the the male experience you know yes it's, it's about um, male, tremendously male characters with male obsessions and um, and the relationship to women is done and executed um, according to that those male that agenda had that to other things the, the, the you know so I was very curious how would that look in in a world uh, that is about the female experience so right I, I made it I made a show about women uh, number one because I'm a woman Nick is a guy he made a show about guys right and he did it really really well and uh, and I got invited to make the show I'm going to do it about women and, uh, and I think that it was such a nice invitation to talk about how female characters relate to powerful female characters relate to their sexual lives yeah. and mm-hmm. how they are also able to concentrate on the case and take what they need uh, from their partners for their pleasure, you know, and how they relate to those male characters. And it's also fun. You know, it's, it's not, I think, yeah, the scenes can be sexy and I hope they are some of them at least, (laughs) but, uh, (laughs) but, uh, but it is also about how these women relate to men and how these women relate to relationships and how these women don't relate to intimacy you know true intimacy and it's part of who they are you know I see how they relate to their kids I see how they relate to uh, the environment to the town to each other it was important to see how they relate to their partners in bed
0: yeah well i i like that you show the women at least again I'm a, for only two episodes but it, what I've seen has been the women have been leading the, the sex and the sex scenes and but there's also not a like you usually when you get that it's like then they like they tr- treat them like you know stereotypical men will treat them like use them for sex and then then discard or whatever and then walk away there's a tenderness that, that you've put in yeah, for these very powerful and strong women they still have this tenderness and the, the, the guys show a tenderness towards them, even in these situations, you know what I mean? It's not, it's not such a, uh, it's not a stereotypical way of, of, of doing it or reversing the roles or re- reversing the, the, uh, you know, the gaze from male gaze to female gaze or whatever. It's, it, you know, I, I don't know. I, I thought it was, is very well done. And I was, I was, uh, once again, very, uh, pleasantly surprised and, and happy to be caught off guard by, uh, uh, by the show in that way.
1: Well, it's uh, I'm always eager and curious to show things that we don't often see. Yeah. So putting a sex scene for putting a sex scene not a fan. Putting a right. sex scene that is going to let us understand our characters better. Yeah. And uh, and to show us a side of our characters that we hadn't seen and surprise us about those characters and give us a lot more in action rather in words or in explaining. I thought it was a, a, an opportunity that I couldn't miss. Right.
0: Well, well I think you did a great job. Um, yes. Well, speaking of of the complicated characters, you know, you you mentioned that you bring a lot of Stephen King, you know, into all your work, and I have to imagine that on top of the small town aspect, you know, one thing that King is is just really well known for is creating these very complicated characters and whether they're a character you meet that has you know that has three lines in a bar or a character that you know is one of the main characters king spent an inordinate an inordinate amount of time getting you into their headspace and um and i could feel that attention to detail uh, already um in what i've seen of this new season um is that something that you think that you you uh you learned or carried in from, from your uh, <laughs> your deep and investigative uh, reading of, of King's stuff over the years?
1: I think, you know, listen, my my reading of King has never been investigative. Um, <laughs> right. It's always been for the crazy fun of it. You know, right. like he's he's one writer that you don't have to read, that you cannot, is rather a writer that you cannot not read because he will, you know, He's an absolute. He's the master of page turners, but at the same time, there's always a depth and a humor, and uh, and definitely the characters are unforgettable. And the the beautiful way that he navigates because in the end, every every important King work is about decency Mm -hmm. versus shallowness or evil, you know. And, uh, and it's the decency of, of, of the human soul that, you know, usually prevails. And it sounds so moralistic and reductive, but he yeah. does it with such mastery that he reminds us of the best in ourselves by showing us the very, very worst and some shit that we don't even have in ourselves that comes from the outer space or the darkest hells and but he uses that to remind us who we should be, and uh, and that's a that's a thing that I that I carry. You know, it's uh, it's the characters that have lost their souls in many many cases and are forced to find even a little bit of it to be able right. to stand against the dark, right? And. Right. Um, yeah. I could see that too in that first True Detective, you know, very nakedly those two characters Mm -hmm. talk about there's a lot of darkness in the world and some of us need to work for the light, like lights like that, that I don't use in my show. But, uh, but it's so, so clear that it is about taking a stand, you Mm -hmm. know, and that I learned through him and the way, the way he can get away with that with the with the moral lesson you know it's which is nobody wants to read the moral lesson nobody uh, right. it's because he creates characters that we care about the bad ones and the good ones
0: yeah and yeah and the good characters have bad traits and the bad characters have good traits that's that's the you know that's good drama that's good storytelling good drama yeah 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 I, i'd like to talk a little bit about without
2: i'm i'm going to have to talk around this There are a number of bits of connective tissue to season one in this season in a way that there were not in uh, seasons two and three. I'm curious what your thinking was there. I'm curious if there was any pushback from HBO about like further, uh, you know, delineating seasons from one another by not having like, say, just I'll use an example that has already been seen in the trailer. The spiral that appears, right? um what was your thinking in porting over some of these elements and were i i assume they were they were cool with it or did you hear anything about that when you know they started seeing what you were doing
1: uh well i have to say trio has been the dream partner in this yeah from the beginning i i I, you know i made a deep revision of the first season which is the one that i felt we all missed and uh and i came back and i said hey how close you want to stay to this or how far away you want to move. And they said, that's for you to answer. You do whatever you want to do. And um, I decided, you know, then I, in my own interest of this interest of my story, I was like, okay, you know what? I like the long drives talking about existential Mm -hmm. uh, things. I'll keep that. I like the two characters that have opposing views of the cosmos. I'll keep that. I like the you know, so I kept the things that I thought were very valuable and were going to make my story better. And the ones that didn't help, like jumping between the past and the present in two storylines,
0: I Mm -hmm. contemplated
1: it. At some point I was thinking it could be... Night in the present and day in the past, because it's summer in the past, right? There's two crimes, one in the present and, and, and one in the past, as there is in my series. So I could move there. And then I thought deeper about it. And I thought that the only thing that it was going to bring to my particular story was going to be a lot of headaches with makeup. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and it was not going to, to, to help my storytelling, because what was more useful for me is to keep the past a secret. So I would discover it slowly. Mm-hmm. And uh, showing it was not going to help, so I ditched that, and HBO had zero issues with that. And um, and then I did want it to be to feel like the same universe, with yeah, the specifically yeah. the same mythology, you know. So in the first season we had the spiral, which in the first season in the first season is the symbol of Carcosa, right? You know, it's it's the mark of Carcosa, and Carcosa is you know the beyond where the old ones the old gods roam and sleep Mm -hmm. their eternal sleeps right Mm -hmm. and uh, and that I wanted Um, so I brought it back you know the spiral marks the presence and the places where and the moments where the things that separate this from that plane are at the closest when you can glimpse into that space and uh, and as if you continue with the series you will see that at certain point it becomes clear that this, this symbol is older than humanity hmm. um, I believe that in season 3 someone says that that symbol is from a pedophile group or uh, I don't know if it was yeah. adopted by them but the truth is the symbol in season 1 is the ritual of Carcosa so mm. that's what I took to my, to my season. Carcosa is not named Carcosa, but it does um, imply the places and the situations and the warning when they're com- we're coming too close to that plane. And um, so the things um, that in that series would enrich my story, I took.
2: I think that what people are really going to respond to about this season is that it's essentially, it, it does all the things that true detective season one does. It's just doing them from a different angle. Do you know what I mean? Like you, it feels like you got out a dry erase board and said, this is what I love about true detective season one and bullet pointed it out and said, I'm going to do all of that. I was going to do it my own way. And so I cannot imagine anyone who, was on board for season one, not just going absolutely ape shit for this new season of the show. It is, you, you really outdone yourself on this. And I'm, I'm, I'm just so, I'm so fucking happy for you, man. It's, it's, it's really cool.
1: I'm so happy to hear that. I am because, you know, it's, it, it's done by a geek for geeks. And I know, we all know that fan, fans can be incredibly protective. And I'm already seeing it online now. You know how, like, no Nick, no game, and um, I don't know. I, I go like, guys, if there's a chance to getting back the thing you loved about it, let's you know, and 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 let's let's give it a try. But that said, it's it is a love letter to that first season, and uh, and I hope it's perceived like that. You know, and and beyond that, in itself, it's its own piece of entertainment yes very totally of entertainment so i hope that people that love that first series feel satisfied that that feeling that it gave us that gave us gave us is back and i hope that people that didn't experience it and or didn't relate to that come see this and experience for the first time this sense of the sinister hiding in the shadows and of characters doing their best to bring the light of reason into those corners and of characters trying to survive their own demons. Right.
0: Yeah. I, I, you're, you're exactly right. There's no need for homework here. Like uh, I, I was watching this and I was like, like, I can't wait to tell my friends, like just watch You don't need to revisit any of the previous things. You don't need to have four whole seasons to catch up on anything. You don't even need to go back to the first one. If you don't want to just like, this is such a great, um standalone thing and Jodie Foster by the way just i got to say it's it's so great to see her in her element like this and she's just so invested and and she's just so engaging you forget how much you want her to investigate the uh, creepy shit you know <laughs> you know what i mean it's like it, it, it's it's so inspired getting her in 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 the the lead here and and uh um you know and the whole cast is great you know uh, for that matter but but jody in particular is is like i you couldn't ask for a better person to to lead lead this uh the
1: season no absolutely i mean it was it was a geek's game you know dream come true really to to get one of the best actors alive i think the best after working with her Mm -hmm. and see the things that she did with this character because again you have to see the second half of the of the season and 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 you are not going to believe the things she does um and you know we never got her for for six hours you know it's such a luxury and the fact that she went in such depth like through every script with me and in in every scene working together to oh you know what would work watch this Or I know no 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 she doesn't know what she's saying, you know, and just playing with her and having seeing her get intoxicated with the game, it was an absolute privilege.
2: Yeah, I I can't even imagine. And and Callie Reese, by the way, is a fucking revelation. Like I know,
1: right? You know, one of the things I, I love about my job the most is the chance to shine a light on someone that deserves to be a superstar and and Kaylee is that thing she is a force of nature so full of emotion and soul but so powerful and to be able to stand in front of Jodie Foster and give her hell and create this chemistry (laughs) between the two of them yeah yeah very proud of, of what Kaylee did there
2: Duh. Well, we we know you are on a uh, a, a, a huge time crunch because you are in the middle of a, a big press tour for this movie. So unfortunately, we're going to have to let you go. But uh, 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 just a sincere congratulations from the both of us. You fucking nailed this. Uh, I'm <laughs> so excited to see what it does for you and your and your career. Get ready to collect some awards next year. I think, oh. <laughs> and Listen, know, even if
0: it's just is- us making them out of uh, popsicle sticks. Yeah, we we'll get you something. Yeah, <laughs> we'll knit you a sweater.
1: If they don't give. If they don't give Emmys to to Jody and Kelly. I'm going to burn this down. It's oh, just we'll help you.
2: Well, good. I mean, I, I would wish you good luck. You're not going to need it. Um, thank you so much for being here, and uh, you know, we will we will talk to you again somewhere up the road.
1: An absolute pleasure. I can wait. Thank you, guys.
0: Many thanks to Issa Lopez for returning to the show, even in this truncated fashion. As usual, Wampler and I could have listened to her talk about her creative process and, I don't know, creepy shit in the snow all day long, but hopefully with True Detective finished, that means we can snag her back in the near future for a longer deep dive into something fun. So, next week we have another of our favorite returning guests coming in to tackle a title that should be on everybody's radars, especially this year. Next week will we... Next week, we will be discussing The Life of Chuck, the novella published in If It Bleeds. It also serves as the next Stephen King adaptation from Mr. Mike Flanagan of dr sleep and gerald's game fame and our guest on this one will be charles soul the novelist behind the recent run of star wars the high republic uh series as well as his work as a popular comic book writer he's done the show before he's one of our favorites he has a keen insight into the novelistic process and uh is always very enthusiastic and so uh this is a pretty fun one we we do a, a fairly thorough examination of what exists on the page. And then Wampler and I have to shut the fuck up about what we might or might not know about, about, uh, the, uh, impending Mike Flanagan adaptation. So that, that's a fun line to, to walk. Okay. So that's next Wednesday in the main feed. And this Friday, we will have a brand new bonus episode as usual on our Patreon, where we take a close look at King's short story, LT's theory of pets to do this. We brought in one Jamie Flanagan, sibling of Mike, and writer on some of their brother's most interesting long form work like the haunting of blind manor midnight mass and the fall of the house of usher so jamie joins us we take a, a a deep dive into lt's theory of pets which is an odd short it's told from the perspective of a guy who receives a pet as a gift that uh uh never takes to him but takes to his partner yet his partner's pet takes to him instead of their partner and that's uh that's weirdly how it goes, but there's a, a deeper, darker, possible theory behind why this happens, and that's what we dive into in that episode. Um, yeah, so make sure to sign up for our Patreon over at patreon.com slash thekingcast, where you'll get a brand new ad-free episode every single Friday that can run the gamut from special king commentaries to deep dives into king short fiction, like we're doing this week, uh, to our king-themed actual play tabletop RPG series about a trio of screwed up kids in 90s Maine called Shelbyville. Uh, we are deep into season two on that right now. So if you want to listen to that and jump on over and uh, and fall in love with these doofuses as they uh, bumble their way through um, mutants and all sorts of arcane horrors in their teeny tiny town that's adjacent to uh, one Castle Rock in Maine. Um, yeah, so that's about it. LT's Theory of Pets is Friday on our Patreon with special guest Jimmy Flanagan. And next Wednesday in the main feed, we have Charles Soul coming in to chat the life of Chuck see y'all then the Kingcast is a fangoria podcast production the show is produced hosted and created by eric Vespi, that's me and scott wampler tira ansley and Abby goel are executive producers daniel danger is our art director and editing is done by yours truly